Ah, yes, welcome everybody. Good to have you folks. Playing a little Twisted Sister for you on your rock station. Hey, it's your home of rock and roll. Yes, indeedy. Well, the reason I'm playing that, obviously, if you saw in the title in the description here, we're going to talk about the lockdowns. The um, So, I, I'm, I don't know if I, how much I want to get political with these podcasts, and it's really, it shouldn't be political, but the lockdowns ended up being politicized immediately. The masks in the United States and elsewhere became politicized immediately. And, you know, whatever you want about masks, I'm fine social distancing, I'm fine mitigating whatever, all that stuff, but... I was really shocked in the spring, in the spring of 2020. March March was one thing because we didn't really know that much about the virus, but April and May, not only just the lockdowns, but the hypocrisy that we were seeing from politicians and media members and the, the amount of power that was given to governors and health directors and everything. It was just, uh, it's like I, I couldn't believe it. And uh, it really bothered me going through this. And the, the one other thing that bothered me was how compliant we were as Americans. Until you realize, of course, Americans always have been cheap. They've always kind of just sat on the sidelines and just let daddy government tell them what to do. Uh, this is kind of the thing that happened uh, with the Revolutionary War. If you look it up, you realize very few Americans, the colonists, I should say, supported the Revolutionary War back in the 1700s. There, like, there's upwards of maybe a third. There's some saying that there was like in the 20% of people supported the Brexit, I guess you could say, the uh, you know splitting from Great Britain. And it's kind of in our nature to just, no, I don't want to rock the boat. No, 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 I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to do anything. And that's what bothered me with the the lockdowns that there wasn't enough people that were kind of rising up and you of course have a a, a corporate press a a media that just went along with it was fine with it why why was the media fine with it because they don't have to worry about where their next paycheck's coming from they're fine with a lockdown they're fine with their the corner store getting shut down they're fine with the retail place getting shut down they're fine with the bars and restaurants why well i got i got booze at home I can make food at home. I get DoorDash. I get Grubhub. I get my groceries delivered to me. I can walk my dog outside. You know, I'm working from home. Well, not everyone has that luxury, and that's what really bothered me. There was a lot of elitism that was going on. So that's why I wanted to book this interview and and talk to Michael Beatrice. He's the author of the book COVID-19 Lockdowns on Trial. You'll hear a very good conversation that, uh, well, you know, I'll pat myself on the back. I thought it was a good conversation to talk to Michael about this because it just doesn't seem like there's enough people rising up and talking about the, the impact these lockdowns have had and will have on our country, whether locally or nationally or even internationally. So uh, we don't really know the ramifications right now, but they're not good. They're not good. You, I can already tell you that right now from canceling elective surgeries in the beginning to shutting down businesses and taking away people's livelihoods. But, you know, we just kind of sneer at it and say, okay, Karen, okay, Chad, what, you can't get your hair cut? What, what, you can't go to Cracker Barrel today? It's like, oh, God, just really bothersome. So, anyways, let's get into the conversation here with Michael Beatrice, author of the book COVID-19, Lockdowns on Trial. Looking forward to this interview because uh, 
I don't want to say like-minded, but it's finally good to have somebody to talk to where I'm not going through this whole process of talking about COVID and the lockdowns where it just seems like I'm on an island. Anytime I've talked to anybody about the lockdowns, everyone's like, oh, what are you you talking about? It seems like a good idea. It really slowed the spread. It flattened the curve. All those things that we've, you know, that we've been hearing since March. And here we are. It's uh, when I'm taping this, it's November. We're talking about more lockdowns and more shutdowns and not so much lockdowns, but a businesses are going to just close because it's just best for the quote-unquote greater good. And uh, with me right now is Michael Beatrice. He's the author of COVID-19 Lockdowns on Trial. Michael, good to have you. Thank you for having me. And, I mean, let's talk about this uh, right now. First of all, are you kind of like me in that throughout this process you had to put something together, put a book out, because something was bothering you, whether it was the media coverage, it was the... For me personally, April of this year, of 2020, was about the peak of where I had to kind of think to myself, what am I going to do here? Because I, I might go out of my mind because I'm trying to talk to people. I'm trying to do this. And I'm like, oh, no, we got to do this. We got to flatten this. And then every day, our governor in Ohio is up there and they're holding these press conferences, basically like their reality TV shows or their late night shows. And they're like, hey, we have guests coming up here. First, my wife is going to tell us about this uh, great pie recipe that she came up with. And I'm like, what is going on? What kind of dystopia are we in? And I'm like, somebody's got to write a book on about these lockdowns and the the authoritative measures, in my opinion. And that's what it seems like you did here with the lockdowns on trial with COVID-19. That is what I did here. <laughs> for, for me, I was recreationally following the cruise ships. If you remember, there were two COVID-19 infected cruise ships in February and March. And I, I follow those just like kind of any American or someone in the world that was interesting. Uh, they were covered with, it was, there was a lot of attention on that. Particularly the second cruise ship was uh, the Grand Princess. And it was kind of quarantined for four or five days off the coast of California. I paid attention to that. I've been on that cruise ship. I've only been on one cruise, and that was it. And if you remember when it was um, when it was porting into the San Francisco Bay, it was sort of covered on on the news like it was like it was the Bronco chase. Yeah, you look like a young guy. I don't know if you remember the, if you know. The oh Bronco yeah, chase. Oh, I remember. <laughs> and um, and so something was really interesting. Nothing really happened as a result of it. And then about ten days later, the Imperial College released a model that suggested that in a do-nothing scenario, like the cruise ships, there would be 2.2 million Americans that would die by summer from COVID. And I just thought, that seems very odd. If that's true, with a you know kind of a uh, higher elderly population on these cruise ships, more would have happened. So I took the cruise ship model, excuse me, I took the uh, Imperial College model, I plugged it into all the demographics of the two cruise ships, in those two cruise ships, we should have had 155 deaths, and we had 10, all elderly, seven with comorbidities. So I just thought, that just isn't adding up. And then a day later, California locked down, then Illinois and New York, and it was on. It was eight, over eight months ago. And to me, this was never really a proportionate response. Remember, we locked down because the model predicted that in a worst-case scenario, we would have a tenfold shortfall in ICUs and hospital beds. And in a best case scenario, a threefold shortfall. That never happened. That didn't even happen in New York. Uh, and the highest occupancy in New York was 40%, 41% of capacity. 
And that kind of wound down in about three or four weeks. And so no place has ever really gotten hit like that again, no single market or single uh, state or, or metropolitan area. And when we hit, I've written 15 books prior to this. They're all business books published by McGraw-Hill. And when this thing triggered 40 million people getting unemployed, I, it was a calling. I just had to get it down on paper. Yeah, and it really, when you talked about the, the, the cruise ships, and I was out there in California at the time. Uh, I was actually in San Diego, not far from the one ship that was kind of docked in the bay for a little while. And it was interesting because that week, I was in San Diego and I was in Los Angeles. And that week started, I went out there March 8th. And we returned back to Ohio March 13th, 14th, right around midnight at that time. The world was different in those five days because when we were going out there on the 8th, it was it, it was almost like a it was kind of like a joke. And I don't want to say a joke, but the way when I was in high school, when the SARS outbreak in 2003 happened and it was, you know, if somebody was out sick, it was like, oh, so and so has SARS. And it was kind of like a. I don't want to say a punchline, but it was just kind of like people were making light of it in a way. And it was when we were flying out there was just make sure you wash your hands, sanitize, don't touch your face. And then by the time we got back just five days later, it was, oh, my God, the world is shutting down because Tom Hanks and a couple of NBA players have coronavirus. And I'm thinking and then all of a sudden through that weekend, because it was getting to St. Patrick's Day. Well, that had to be canceled. Uh, schools are canceled, uh, go on spring break early, uh, all sporting events, all music venues, everything shuts down. I was at the gym on March 16th, and I was on a treadmill, and they said, hey, you got to get off. The governor's closing the gyms. And I'm like, really? And then it just started adding up. And I think that's where, like you said, you you have this business background where you're writing these books. And it just got to the point where you couldn't take it anymore. And you had to you had to write because there were so many people out of work. And here we have all these and we'll get to the hypocritical um, nature of some of these governors here in a little bit. But that's what ended up happening is that these bureaucrats start shutting everything down for what? For the greater good, of course. Right. Yeah. You know, your story about, you know, the gyms and being in California, my personal one was my son plays college baseball and uh, for a Big 12 school. And he was on a road trip game to uh, to California that weekend. And so he flew out on a Wednesday. Uh, and by Wednesday night, they decided that the following day's game was going to be played with no fans. By Thursday morning, they canceled it. By Friday, they chartered a flight back to Oklahoma. And by Saturday, schools were closed and the season was over and he was home for the rest of the year. I mean, yep. it was crazy how fast this went down. It, it really was amazing. And so, you know, when you're talking about this, first of all, the let's go back in time because I, I know you're not an epidemiologist, but we didn't shut the country down for SARS in 03. We didn't shut down the country for H1N1 in 2009, 2010. We had the Ebola outbreak that, not really an outbreak, there was a couple of cases that ended up happening, but they were able to quarantine those people. That's when you start hearing this word quarantine. Why all of a sudden, 2020, and you know, that you put the tinfoil hat, you could be Alex Jones and put the say it's, oh, it's an election year, they were trying to get Trump out, whatever the case is. But why this time around that we needed almost a sweeping change, and now eight months later we're hearing 
people talk about a great reset. Oh no, this is time for the great reset. We had heard Rahm Emanuel about a decade ago say never let a crisis go to waste. And right. a lot of that has kind of turned a lot of people onto whether it's QAnon or conspiracy theories by going, why these shutdowns this year? Why this authoritative? Why didn't we do this before? And why, why is this happening right now? Well, so a few questions in there to address. So one of them is, uh, is prior to 2020, if you look at medical journal analysis, you look at stuff that had been documented by the CDC and by the WHO, they had all renounced lockdowns as you know, you know, kind of a practical or or an effective mitigation tactic for something like this, you know, for a viral spread um, on a pandemic, and and so we kind of threw that out the window. What was really happening in the moment was Wuhan had locked down first, so that that sort of established something that was in China originated. Italy had locked down. Italy was getting slammed uh, in their northern. Uh, provinces, uh, you know, the, the kind of the north, the area around Milan, they really did get hammered. And I think it was the Imperial College model that triggered the United States and the UK to lock down, right? I mean, 500,000 deaths was their estimation. And then the 2.2 million. But I'll tell you, Tony, what was nuts was um, the Imperial College came out with that model. And about a week later, Dr. Uh, Sunitra Gupta, who is in, who kind of founded along with a couple other docs the Barrington Declaration if you're familiar with that oh, a few yeah. weeks ago and uh, she came out and said I think these assumptions are all wrong I don't think it's going to be nearly this bad and she went into you know a whole bunch of reasons the day after that happened the day after Professor Ferguson who authored that Imperial College model he pulled back on it and said uh, I don't think it's going to be like that I think we're only going to have 20,000 deaths in the UK and of those 20,000 deaths most of those people would have died by the end of the year anyway. And I'm like, and I'm sitting around and I still hadn't decided to write a book. But I'm thinking, this is nuts. There's nothing that would have changed his model inputs in nine days because, you know, hospitals were filling up and it, it was, you know, so it was clear that there was a lot of wiggle room and looseness in this. And it was also clear by April, hospitals were not going to get overwhelmed. So we locked down to prevent an overflow of hospitalizations. That didn't happen. That will never happen. And now we've lost our way, right? Like you've got New York City who shut down schools because they've got uh, a minuscule positivity rate. And we'll get into a lot of that hopefully today too. Uh, and so, you know, they're taking a school district that's got 1.2 million kids, largest in the country, and shutting them down. And so the, you know, where, where I felt that my initial thing was really the high unemployment, right now it's really, you know, you've got small businesses getting ravaged and you've got... 35 million kids that aren't in class right now. So they're falling behind over a year because this year is gone. They missed last spring. Uh, and and the idea of, you know, if you're not a gifted kid, you you are going to have a very difficult time making this up. Oh, trust me. I, I was talking about it this morning that when I was in school, I was the kind of guy that uh, I was the kind of kid that teachers up there at the blackboard and I'm looking at the trees and doodling and doing something else. I couldn't imagine remote school nowadays for me at that time, I would be so distracted. And I know that there have been educators and people say, oh, no, uh, make sure your workspace or your school space, your desk is going to be. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. I'm at home. My distraction is the dog's outside. I've got video games. I've got comic books. I've got all of this. I know that I can do it. I mean, they've they made that. You've probably seen the South Park episode about it. It's just, 
it's fantastic, and it just goes over everything that's been happening where Cartman doesn't want to go back. And a lot of these kids are really not learning anything. And uh, uh, and But all of this was because we had to lock down, and it was the 15 days to flatten the curve. Remember that? Remember 15? We just need 15 days to flatten the curve. And I thought to myself mid-March, not to be naive, but I'm thinking if you need to shut down maybe a week, just say the restaurants, look, we just, just want to make sure that if we just keep people home for a little bit, okay. The problem is with government is that when you relinquish that power, the chances of you getting that back are very are but slim to none, and that's kind of what ended up happening and why we're talking here at the end of November, and there's kids still haven't been in school, and, there's, uh, there's, uh, and, and, and a lot of adults have adjusted. They're like, oh, no, I can work from home. I just make a cup of coffee. I don't have to go in the office anymore. And for a lot of people, they like this. They like this, quote-unquote, new normal. They don't mind the masks. They don't mind the social distancing. They don't mind not seeing their family for the holidays. Right. Uh, there's just so many tragedies out of this thing. But where I think we've really lost our way is, and what we can't figure out is, like, you probably saw this, but uh, last week, uh, Dr. Michael Osterholm, who's on um, Joe Biden's coronavirus team, you know, he kind of made a statement, we should do a federal lockdown for four to six weeks. And he's just sitting there so nonchalant, like, I think we can pay small businesses this and we can do this. And I'm thinking, you have lost your mind, right? And part of it is, what is the end game out of this? Hospitals aren't full. The only people that are really at risk of this are the very elderly, or if you suffer from hypertension, severe diabetes, or severe obesity. Otherwise, you're really not at risk. Of the 250,000 plus official COVID-19 deaths, about two-thirds of those are real. We really do have about 180,000 uh, COVID-19 deaths, so it's real. And I actually I lost a cousin in a care facility in Detroit, so I'm, I'm not a COVID denier. This, this thing is very real. It's not a hoax. Yeah, exactly. It's not a hoax, but it's also not really dangerous to the, the vast majority, the vast majority of Americans. It's not at all a statistical, it's zero statistical risk to kids. In fact, here's a funny couple stats. So this year, we've, we're, we're up above average 350,000 deaths. That's a pretty significant number. We're up 12%. But in people that are age 25 and under, we're actually 2% below average in deaths. 2% below, and all these kids are out of school. I don't know how you justify it, but there was a... Um, but they, yeah. by the way, they keep using the, oh, there's over 250,000 people dead. And, and you, you have to... It, because you, you realize people, and I know you do, but a lot of people don't realize that that is kind of a way of propagandizing it by saying that, okay, yeah, there's over 250. How many people would have normally died during this time of something else? And you start realizing that as we're nearing the end of 2020, we're going to compare the deaths to 2019, 2018, 2017. And like you right. said, probably going to fall below, uh, below that of what some of those deaths, well, right? Gonna- well, uh, so in, in the young in the young segment, you know, we're probably I, I just say we're going to be flat because COVID really isn't a factor. We are going to be well above average in the older population. We're, you know, from mm-hmm. 26 up, we're up above average in every every age bracket. Uh, but what you're seeing is almost a one to one ratio between COVID-19 deaths and lockdown deaths. So we're way up in deaths in Alzheimer's abandonments, deaths of despair. We're we're. 46% of the uh, six most common cancers went undiagnosed. That, those cancers didn't go away this year. 
They just didn't get diagnosed. We're way, way down in treatments for things. Kids miss their, I mean, a lot of people, you know, miss their vaccines. And so we're going to end up with more healthcare casualties from the lockdowns than COVID-19 is going to cause by the end of next year, maybe, maybe in the middle of next year. And, and so again, I, I don't really understand what the end game of this, where what's really happened is our default position on all this should be that we're open. Right now, the default position is really, oh my God, we got a lockdown. They're just so trigger happy. And so here's what I found really interesting in the last month or so. We have two very open states, South Dakota and Florida. Mm-hmm. They're, they're the two most open states in the country. In if you look at the acti- COVID activity all around those states, you know, the, the basically border there, the, each one of those, the COVID activity in those states is basically the same. The curves are in all the states around South Dakota, which is peaking this week and last week. They're probably at their peak right now. Uh, but it, that's what's happening in every state around them. If you look at Colorado and Montana and Iowa and, you know, on and on. Uh, and if you look at Florida and compare it to, you know, Georgia and Alabama, and that, those curves all look the same. So it's clear, it is clear and indisputable that locking down is not suppressing this to be a game changer with all the collateral consequences of the small businesses and all the untreated healthcare issues, kids being out of class. And so I, it's like we're living in the twilight zone. I, I mean, I'm not being hyperbolic, hyperbolic but uh, I, I can't even believe where we are. When, when I started this book, I told all my friends in April, as I started the book in early April, I said, listen, I'm studying the data. This thing's gonna unwind by May 1st. And if you remember April, I think 26th was when Georgia opened up the first day and, and Texas opened up a couple of days later. And I just thought, oh, this thing's gonna blow through. It, it just hasn't. Certainly there was a summer little, you know, kind of thing in Florida, uh, in Texas where I lived, all those Sunbelt states, Arizona, Southern California, but hospitals weren't overwhelmed. And so what's the end game out of this? I, I don't understand it. If they think that lockdowns are gonna suppress this down to an absolute zero, they, they just don't understand the data. And you, you kind of see a little bit of a correlation between the 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 climate because it really burned through new york when people were going to be hunkered down anyways because it's pretty darn cold in new york in march and april and february and even january and december when we were starting to see some of that go on then all of a sudden in the summertime they said oh well look at florida and georgia and texas they're not handling it properly and it's like well yeah because it's a it's about 120 right now in parts of Texas. I was in uh, I was in Key West for uh, my honeymoon back in July, and it was in the 90s there. And they had mask mandates, and they didn't have stay-at-home orders or advisories. But Key West was a li- the keys were a little different than the rest of Florida that they were finding yeah. out. But what was going on was it kind of seemed like that was hitting people because it was too darn hot down there and people were staying inside and that Ohio and Michigan and those places were seeing their numbers go down because people are outside. I mean, it, it almost seems like, and then now you're seeing the spikes again in the North and Florida seems to be okay again, because again, is, is correlation versus causation? I, I'm not sure, but I think there has to be some kind of argument uh, for and against that too. I think there's an interesting point that I'd love to bring up here. So the WHO estimated uh, a few weeks ago that 750 million people worldwide had been infected with the virus. If you, that's a much higher number than the official worldwide number. If you kind of extrapolate that to the US, 
that would translate to, and this is about six weeks ago, so, uh, 153 million Americans that would be infected. Here's where I'm getting a little tangled up on all the data in the fall. First off, there's no doubt there's a little bit of a spike going on in the number of states. That's real. That's real. But what's also happening is when you've got somewhere between uh, a third and half the country that could be infected, you're going to test positive, especially with these amplified testings. So here's what happens in a lot of cases. You're going to the hospital for something that's not COVID-related. You get tested. Everybody gets tested. You are going to test positive because a lot of people have this. So what you could see, and we are seeing, is a number of hospitalizations that, where people test positive, so it's a COVID hospitalization, but they're not sick with COVID. I know this for a fact because my brother is a surgeon in Michigan and on a hospital board, and he did two surgeries last week on COVID patients, and he's a urologist, and so they, you know, he doesn't operate on things that would be respiratory in nature. Um, but he was telling me, you know, those are COVID patients, right, because they're test positive. So that's why you're seeing a disconnect between uh, the high cases and hospitalizations and the deaths aren't quite following what they did in the, in the, um, in the spring. So an example is like, people are freaking out because things are activity spiking up in Ohio, but Ohio's overall hospital capacity in the first half of November, like just total, not COVID, just total, you're actually down like 0.2% or something. So that means like a small fraction of, of all hospital beds are there, there's less occupied now than there was a year ago. So the question again is what's the end game out of this? And there's no doubt activity spiking up, but, but because of the way we look at COVID hospitalizations and deaths, people could die as long as they test positive, it's a COVID death if they die from something else. We're gonna be living with COVID for a long time and the numbers are gonna stay very propped up. The question is, is it artificial? We're not seeing the same relationship between cases and hospitalizations and deaths that we did. And again, I, I just don't understand what the end game is. And the tragic part about the media, and I blame the media more than the politicians on this. The politicians would buckle the polls. The media, how many stories, you seem to, like I'm sure you really follow the news. How many stories have you seen in the last 10 weeks about uh, how crushed kids are getting from a lack of education? Uh, barely any. Barely any, right. I've seen like a half dozen stories in newspapers. The New York Times, ironically, has done a fairly decent job of covering this uh, in some major stories. But generally, like you watch cable news, the networks, they ignore this. How many stories do we really see on the stats around small businesses and restaurants that are going out of business? Very I mean, few. Very few. So there's not a lot of attention on the consequences of the lockdowns. When I tweet out information about lockdown deaths, people will, by the way, it's wild. Like I was never on Twitter until I wrote this book. And so I got on just a couple months ago. Uh, and people are vicious on Twitter. Oh, and welcome. Welcome. Like, welcome to Twitter. Yes, that's uh, that's what it is. Is uh, Matt Leinart, the former quarterback uh, from USC, had that tweet the other day. He was talking about how California is getting locked down and he hates it. And everyone's like, oh, boo hoo, just because you can't eat at Applebee's. I'm like, that's not what he's saying. So, like you said, anytime you bring that up, anytime you bring up that businesses are leaving left and right, it's going back to the same thing that was going on in the spring where when you were protesting the lockdowns, they said, oh, well, okay, Karen, you can't get your hair cut. You can't go to Chili's. And it's like, that's not what it's about. You're framing a narrative. And it, it, and like you said, the, the media is just as it fall, if not at more so than the bureaucrats. More, more. more. The, the politicians would buckle. 
the politicians would buckle to these things. That's why I've got enormous respect for what Ron DeSantis and Christy Noem have done. I mean, the, the amount of public, um, the amount of media pressure on them. You know, what you'll see is you'll see headlines uh, and articles around, oh my God, look at how bad South Dakota's doing. Rachel Maddow does this a lot. Look how bad, you know, she'll pick on Christy Noem on Twitter. What, what nobody contextualizes is what's every other state around them doing? Oh, they're doing the same thing. They've got the same level of activity with lockdowns. And so <clears throat> without, you know, sort of balanced media coverage, there's no reason for the politicians to buckle. But I'll tell you one thing. It sounds like you're a sports fan. Uh, Kelly Stafford became my favorite oh, yeah. uh, football wife. Uh, I'm from Detroit, but uh, she became my football favorite football wife after what she said about Governor Whitmer. Um, and then she, you know, backpedaled it a little bit. But when you talk about like things like, and this happened to me last night on Twitter, somebody's like, well, you know, you're, you're complaining because, you know, you, restaurants are closed and you can't dine out. No, that's not what I'm no. complaining. You're talking about serious education deficiencies right now. So in small business impacts that just don't, they don't have connective data to cases and hospitalizations. It's like, but, but here's the thing, Tony, is the media will forgive you for anything other than COVID deaths. The only scorecard that matters is what is your COVID activity. And if you're not doing everything you can, like locking down, shutting down schools, you will get crucified in the media. And there, there's just no balance. So here's like one other quick data point, right? Everybody's picking on South Dakota. When this is all done, the biggest measuring stick that we have is what's called all-cause mortality. Where are we in total deaths? I mentioned that 350,000. So the US right now is plus 12% in deaths. That's a real number. Um, South Dakota is only up 3% in excess deaths this year. They are ranked 45th in the country. That's a great number. That's winning because they're not having a lot of lockdown deaths. They're having uh, you know, some degree of excess deaths, no doubt about it, particularly now. And they'll end up a top 10 state in deaths per million for COVID. And a third of those won't really be from COVID. But the all-cause mortality number, it matters. South Dakota is, you know, they're kicking ass right now in terms of what everybody else is doing, and that data just goes unnoticed. So I, I want to get to, I want to get back into the government and the the hypocrisy in just a little bit, but I, I want to get back to what you were saying about the hospitals, because we were hearing about back in March and April is flatten the curve, 15 days, all that kind of stuff. And in April, I'm seeing video after video after video of these bored nurses on exercise balls and coordinated dances that they're posting on TikTok. And I'm thinking, and you're hearing hospitals are closing left and right because there's no patients, because everything is either COVID or nothing. And all those makeshift, uh, you know, the ship that went to New York Harbor and the makeshift uh, 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 places in convention centers for COVID patients and everything. And the, uh, the Cuomo saying, we need ventilators, ventilators, ventilators. Right. We're nearing capacity, we're nearing capacity. And I keep hearing that to this day. I mean, I, I talk to healthcare, uh, or at least people in the community, they're like, our healthcare workers are so stressed right now. There's no beds. We don't know what to do. But then you start digging in, you realize Dutch. hospitals are basically supposed to be at capacity anyways, right? Is it, I mean, like, I could be wrong here, but they're not supposed to be operating with tons of empty beds. They operate just like a restaurant kind of does in a way. I mean, this is just... Just where, like, you want to make sure that a, a, a hospital business, obviously you don't want to see a lot of people in your hospital because of 
you want to see people healthy, but also at the business end, you say, well, that's, you know, it's dollars and cents here. Right. So if a hospital is not in the 80s, at least in capacity, it's like a hotel, right? To your point, they need to kind of run. They need to be full to make money. That is, you know, the you know, vast majority of hospitals are for profit. Um, you know, it was really funny because in April and May, uh, you had doctors out, you know, fishing and playing golf. They couldn't work. They couldn't work. And what's frustrating is when you hear that term of not of like elective surgeries, total BS term, right? That gives the, the impression that an elective surgery is like a facelift. That's not what an elective surgery yeah. is in a hospital. An elective surgery in a hospital could be an organ transplant. You know, it could be a cancer treatment. I mean, the list is on and on, but it's not like it's like people were getting denied facelifts. It was bad. And a couple of kids, even in my neighborhood, real nice kids, they went down to Parkland. Parkland is the big hospital in downtown Dallas where I live. You know, it was where they, they took Kennedy back in the 60s. And they took these care packages quote, frontline nurse workers uh, there. And so we want to thank you for all you're doing. And the nurses, this is what they told me, you know, a few days later, the nurses kind of laughed and said, we are doing nothing. Like we have nothing. Look at, and they walked them down and the halls were empty. They had shut down halls, you know, rooms because they just weren't occupied and they were sitting around doing nothing. Now um, that wasn't their doing. So you can't blame any of them at all. Uh, but these policies that we're enacting, it's, it's, again, it's, Tony, it's like the twilight zone. And our default, we're trigger happy, just like New York did. They closed down last week's schools because they hit a 0.2% above three, 3.2% positivity rate, which doesn't mean anything. If you've got 150 million or more people that are infected, you are, I'm almost shocked that we're not seeing 300,000 cases a day. That could happen. We're doing 2 million tests a day. We could easily see 300,000 uh, cases a day. That doesn't mean that's how many people are sick. Yeah, and well, and and that leads me to my next thing because in September we heard about these things because you were hearing about died with COVID or died from COVID, and there was this number that came out around Labor Day weekend where they said ninety-four percent of the people who died died of something else, and COVID was attributed to it, while six percent were have died of COVID. I heard a couple of different examples of people saying, "Look, that's kind of lazy that." No one's really kind of like pneumonia and all these other illnesses that or viruses that it's you are dying of this contributed to this and this. But it's pr- pretty obvious, you know, it, it, like I, I love the stories. And I, when I say love that, I didn't love them. But the stories where it says, you know, healthy 28 year old uh, uh, dies of COVID-19. And you go, oh, that's sad. And you scroll down about 16 paragraphs and you realize, well, this person also had leukemia when they were 16 and were ill for several years and they had a poor immune system or this person has diabetes. I, I read somewhere there was there was a girl who it was like her life's dream to be a journalist to write for, it was like Glamour or Cosmopolitan. She had passed away at the age of 29. And then eventually you scroll through and you see that she's like over 400 pounds. And again, I'm not saying that anybody deserves to die or anything like that, but you have to weigh things out and realize that we're, we've now quarantined the healthy people and the sick people still have the opportunity to do, I'm not saying that old people and sick people don't have the same rights as healthy people like you and I or anyone else listening to this, but 
it, it was just a little bit of an overreach. So you're starting to hear, oh, wait a second, these 2.5 comorbidities that people are dying of. So it's like, yeah, they had COVID, but they also had this, 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 and this. And you say, boy, was this, this seems a little bit of an overreach to shut down the country because it's a respiratory illness that's affecting people who are really, you know, elderly or not healthy. Well, so I want to I want to address one thing. So the six percent number had existed uh, long before that Labor Day announcement. If you follow, if for people that follow the CDC, the actual reporting, that number was always a, a column in in the uh, in the uh, reporting. Um, nobody that really follows the data bid on that. You know, when I saw it, I dismissed it immediately and said that that's not that's stupid, right? And the people that have done a very good job on reporting this. Um, it, out of the gate, you know, people like Alex Berenson mm -hmm. and Justin, you know, they had, they called that out the day it came out, just like I saw it. And they said, you know, don't run with this data. That's bad. It's not 6%. It, it, it's more like two thirds of all the COVID reported deaths. They really are from COVID. When you see a COVID death with pneumonia or they had a cardiovascular uh, implication, that probably is COVID. Uh, and that's a fair comment to make, uh, a fair analysis to include those that, you, you know, you don't need to underscore the data to be to, to take a position like mine that lockdowns really aren't the right way that we should go. So um, I, I dismiss the 6% thing, that's not real. Um, it, no, ER docs and, and nurses would laugh you out of the room in, in various different cities if, if they said, you know, you said basically it was the same as a flu or 6%, that's ridiculous. Um, but again, you, your second point's very valid. If you are elderly, or you've got, again, these like three or four known comorbidities, you are at risk. You should take a lot of precautions and keep a low profile. So like, here's an example of like the great, one of the biggest insanity things I, I saw. I wrote a piece on this in, in the Washington Times. Um, so Colorado's and Boulder County specifically, have you been out there before? Oh yeah. Okay, good. So, you know, University of Colorado is in Boulder. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and when the kids went back to school, they started like a lot of schools, they started to see a big spike in cases. And so what they did, this genius move, they locked down only 18 to 22 year olds for a few weeks where they they really had to stay at home. All they could do, I mean, the list is, without going into too much detail, you can find it, but they had very strict orders for only 18 to 22 year olds. And I joked and I said, it was probably the first time in history that a 21 year old would pay to have a fake ID to say he was 17, right? <laughs> um, you know, and, and so, but that's the reflexive position. What they should have done is make a release that said something like, hey, we're getting some COVID activity, uh, some cases spiking with kids going back. If you are elderly or you've got these two or three underlying conditions, you should keep a low profile for four to six weeks uh, and be very cautious while this thing, you know, kind of plays itself out, which it does. So you've got you know, 200, maybe 75,000 college kids that have tested positive for the virus. How many do you think have gotten sick from it? Uh, microscopic. Yeah, I mean, maybe a dozen. Yeah. Maybe, you know, maybe a dozen. I think we've had a handful of hospitalizations or fatalities. I'm not minimizing that. But, you know, in, in kids, there was a lot of stuff going around my neighborhood around Halloween. And should kids be able to go trick-or-treating and are they at risk? There's 41 million kids in the country that are age 5 to 14. 31 at that time had, had died with the virus. And I'd be hard pressed to believe that, you know, maybe an outlier, but any of them died without an underlying condition that aligned with COVID. Meanwhile, we had 3,400 kids that had died of all other causes. 
So I posted like on Nextdoor that this was, you know, kids are at, you know, zero risk. And they called me out on it and said that deviates from the CDC. And I said, so I report all those numbers. That is statistically zero risk. That is, um, you know, 31 kids out of 41 million people and even 31 out of 4,000 or so fatalities. So total all-cause fatalities. It's just nuts where we've gotten. And I don't think it's all political because when you look at where we are post-election, we're ramping up. Right. I mean, yep. you know, you've got a, you've got a Republican governor. They're not lighting up. Um, we still have a mask mandate here in Texas. You know, this. so it's not just politics. This is very, very media driven. The media, their scorecard is you better lock down to do everything you're doing to try to get to an absolute zero and all the other consequences of the lockdowns be damned. That's why this isn't just politics. It's really media driven. The media is crucifying those that don't lock down. Yeah, and it, it, it and you notice that kind of with the the mask mandates, and uh, I, I want to get into masks here now because it's funny. I, I've been listening to uh, Michael Savage, uh, his radio show, and what he was saying back in February is what I've also been saying is that the selective quarantine. And I try to explain this to people that selective quarantine, like you said, is look if you are somebody who's elderly and somebody who's had cancer, somebody who's had diabetes or lupus or other autoimmune diseases probably should just stay home i'm not saying that you can't live any kind of life or not have any rights but there are we have a lot of healthy people instead in march and april and may i would go to to a grocery store next door to me and i would see nothing but old people and unhealthy people and they're all wearing their masks and everything and they're all going grocery shopping i'm like you're the people who should be staying home right now because you're using the touchpad with your credit card and giving away money and everything you're not sanitizing everything you're telling me and i'm 32 you're telling me and, and students younger to stay home and you know you got to work from home you got to do this we got to flatten the curve and everything and i'm like it's the opposite i should be the one I, I know it sounds selfish but i should be and zero to 70 year olds should be out there doing things and keeping the economy going kind of like what we did during h1n1 and then you have the mask thing, and now that becomes kind of the silver bullet because they're saying that, oh, well, the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally in South Dakota, that they're not wearing masks. And, you know, oh, well, President Trump didn't wear a mask, and Donald Trump Jr. didn't wear a mask. They got COVID. And it's being used as this cudgel, as opposed, and it's been politicized, as opposed to if, if you want to wear a mask, if you think it works— if you think it doesn't, because there's a lot of conflicting studies, as much as our governor, who's a Republican, but he's kind of a rhino in Ohio, Mike DeWine, that he's like, masks work, masks work, we've heard the studies. There's a lot of conflicting studies, and especially what mask are you using? Are you, are you just putting a... I, I saw somebody in church wearing a dish rag over his face. That's what we've done to people, is we've told them, I don't care what you wear, just put something over your face, because droplets and aerosolize this and that, and... So, I, I, I want to ask you about the, the kind of this mask thing, because it, it really is turned into this political cudgel now. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and I, I will. One thing I want to add to this thing on the school thing, just to, and then I'll get into the whole mask, is um, is it was really funny in Nova Scotia when they locked down, they had a lot of their um, cheap labor had, had left when they locked down. Schools were closed in May. And so, you know what they did? They took middle and high school kids and they were working in lobster factories, lobster processing factories. Okay. <laughs> so they could they could work there but not be in class. 
And so now what you've got is you've got more kids working at fast food restaurants, spending more hours a week and working at fast food restaurants than they are in class. Who doesn't think that's the most insane thing ever? Okay, so on to masks. So it was really funny. Dr. Redfield, uh, CDC Director Redfield said a couple months ago, you know, he held his mask up in front of his congressional hearing. And he said, this thing is better than, you know, better than a vaccine. And, and so everybody that was sort of in my camp was calling it the mask vaccine. The, uh, um, you can't find data anywhere in the world that shows, and I guess you've probably seen these charts, but nowhere, you've got your mask mandate, your indoor, your outdoor mask mandate. Now in, in Pennsylvania, it's an in-home mask mandate. Yeah. And then you see the mask mandate and then the virus decides to hit and then you see this huge spike in cases and then you now everything follows. The reason that, that the masks don't suppress anything do you wear glasses, by the way? I yeah, reading glasses. Okay. And do you ever? So if you ever put a face covering on, um, with right, I do. I'm acting it out for. We don't have video uh, for the the audio, but I've got my gator that they said doesn't work, and they're banning it in libraries now because they say it doesn't work. But and I've got my glasses on here. So uh, so what you'll see, what you'll see on this, is. Um, is you don't see the suppression of, of any data on the masks. Uh, and one hilarious, one hilarious experience that I had was I went into Subway, and in Subway, uh, one guy, they'd forgotten their masks, and so to get served, one guy went like this and pulled his shirt off. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of laughed, and I said, dude, love your mask. The other guy took a McDonald's, empty McDonald's cup, and kind of just put it over, just because that's what he needed to do to be able to get served. I think John McAfee went someplace and put like his wife's thong on his face or something. <laughs> you know, whatever works. That's but, John uh, McAfee for you. But what you've got in these masks is you've got pores that are a thousand times larger than viral particles. And so anything less than an N95, that's why you don't see them uh, really suppressing the virus. They, they, just, they just don't. It kind of goes through. It's sort of like a, a hurricane blowing through, uh, uh, you know, a straw house on the beach. It, it, it just isn't an, effect, an effective um, mitigation tactic. Yeah, what they said is the, I think the other one I heard is that it's trying to stop mosquitoes with a chain link fence. Yeah, so, you know, kind of same thing. I mean, I, that's actually probably a better analogy. Uh, and, and it is very much like that. And so, I wish they could, you know, they keep talking about following the science and stuff, and I'm not saying it's worse than nothing. It's, it's, uh, you're really balancing a compromised oxygen intake. That's real, by the way. That is real. Like if you've got people cooking, um, uh, you know, in, in sort of warmer temperatures and moving quick, quick and stuff at a, at a restaurant, and they're wearing a mask, that's probably unhealthy. I'm being serious. Mm -hmm. It's probably, um, you know, if they're testing negative, they don't need to wear a mask while they're working back there. Uh, but I, that's just where we've gotten. Tony, where we've gotten is this default on mask. We got to wear masks, and we've got to do lockdown, and we got to keep kids out of school, and things like that. And or, or, just... or and, and the other thing is that I hear is that if you get the if you get coronavirus, it's because you're not wearing your mask. And I hear about all these stories because you know in Ohio we've had a mask mandate since mid July, and I hear about oh people are just not wearing them. They're just not wearing them. Like I go to the like circumstantial for me, I guess, and anecdotal, but. I go to the grocery store, 100% compliance. I go to the gym, basically everybody's in compliance because nobody wants their gym shut down, so everyone's wearing their mask, and they're, maybe not, not everybody on the treadmill, but they clean it up really well because they don't want the gyms to close. Everywhere I've gone, restaurants, bars, 
uh, and I just hear about all these, uh, oh, just, uh, this is the reason why there's a spread is that no one's wearing masks. Where are you at that no one's wearing masks? Okay, maybe you went to a, a Sunoco and a person bought like a, a, a six-pack of Molson and wasn't wearing a mask because he doesn't believe in it. Is that one person really the cause of this massive spread and millions of people getting this in America? And I'm like, no, it's not. There's no it, – it, I, I don't know. It's just it's, – it's giving me so a migraine. <laughs> The mask execution is what it is. That is where we are in terms whatever, whatever uh, compliance we have. I, I would argue it's pretty good. Uh, you know, I was, I, was at, um, I was at University of Oklahoma last week, and I saw kids walking around campus during the day by themselves with masks on outside, like just walking, you know, an airy campus. That would be like walking around Ohio State uh, with nobody around you. Uh, in the middle of the day outdoors wearing a mask that's pretty damn good compliance i i think in general our execution on this uh is pretty good and it just isn't doing much and again i i'm not falling on the mask board right now you know get kids in school get businesses back open um and it's not the you know the, the thing about the restaurants is it's not so that people can go out to eat at applebee's it's so people can work and those businesses don't go under you know, we're forcing these businesses to go under where, you know, I never made a, um, in the book, you, you could read my book and not know who I voted for because that wasn't the approach that I took. Mm -hmm. And I still don't take that approach. I don't take the um, civil liberties or constitutional argument because if this is a wartime, you know, huge pandemic Spanish flu level thing, I, I do think you compromise civil liberties. I, I do. So my perspective on this is more, what does the data say to support or, or deny that it's a pandemic of that magnitude? And, and I, it's not, it just isn't. And I think this thing is gonna be going on for, uh, I think it's gonna be going on well into second quarter next year. And so, and, and that's what I want to get to uh, as we uh, start to wind up the conversation down, because you've been talking about what's the end game. What's the end game with the masks? When when will I be able to go to my grocery store, go someplace and not have to worry about, oh, did I bring my mask? Did I have that? And then I, I also want to ask you, because, I mean, it, it's part of the uh, title of the book about the lockdowns, is that you, we've been seeing for the past eight months, and especially recently now, you're seeing the the bureaucrats who are disobeying their own lockdown orders. But again, it's the do as I say, not as I do. You had Gavin Newsom is at this $15,000 a plate uh, dinner Hopefully. with lobbyists. You had Cuomo, uh, Governor Cuomo just said the other day he's having his 89-year-old mother for Thanksgiving. You had uh, uh, Governor Whitmer in Michigan. She had like a graduation party for her kid. Uh, Nancy Pelosi and Dianne Feinstein are walking through. Uh, Feinstein's walking through an airport without a mask. Pelosi's walking through a shuttered hair salon without a mask. Uh, uh, Lori Lightfoot back in the spring told people you can't get haircuts, but I'm a public figure, so I got to get my haircut, but you can't. So it's that hypocrisy of no, no, you're not allowed to see your family for Thanksgiving. You're not allowed to see. But then all of a sudden, George Floyd, the, the tragedy that happened in Minneapolis and George Floyd was murdered, then the protests start happening. So a week, so right around Memorial Day, you had people saying, oh, you, you can't go to restaurants. You can't do this. I know you think these are attacks on your civil liberties, but you got to follow the science. You got to do this. Then a week later, 
they tut tut and ignore the protests or actually say that no the protests are a good thing but besides everyone's wearing masks so there's there's really no problems with that so when the protests are dying down the media went back to covid and they said oh people are still getting this because they're not following mask orders and then there was another uh, uh, police shooting of, uh, of an unarmed black person and then this and then it just keeps spiraling so the hypocrisy in the media and the hypocrisy in the government is really i think been a, one of the massive, if not the biggest story next to the actual virus itself here in 2020. Well, it, it is it is funny. Uh, and and without picking sides on this, because I don't I don't like doing that. But there is a far majority of Democrat leaders that have violated their orders than Republicans. Part of it is they have stricter orders. But like you've got, you know, one awesome one was Governor Pritzker and in, in, um Illinois, right? They high school sports couldn't be conducted, and his daughter is uh, an equestrian rider, and yeah. so she competed in other states that had that, not <laughs> Illinois. And you just wonder how dumb you are to to do some of those things, like like Governor Newsom, uh, you know, his dinner and, and and all the things that you mentioned, right? The Lori Lightfoot thing was just incredible. Um, I thought the Pelosi thing was a little less of a story than actually some of these other ones that were huge, but. Um, but nevertheless, you know, uh, this is where we are. I can tell you, I, I believe we are in a mask world until, uh, in most states, until a solid second quarter. I, I just think that's where we are. I think um, schools are going to, they're gone this year. I, 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 there's a lot of schools that have already committed. They're not going back until at least February. We will not be out of this in February. Whatever the data is now, the data is not going to be different in February. We've got so many so many tens of millions of people infected by that it could be 200 million that could show up on a pcr test that we will never get out of this case thing if cases becomes our benchmark we 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 um we are in this we are in this for a very long time if hospitalizations become incapacity becomes our benchmark we will we could be out of it you know tomorrow but it's not uh and it's it's um it is it is it's like the twilight zone Tony, I don't know what to say. Is it going to take the citizens to start rising up a little bit? Is it going to be more? Because that's the one thing about libertarians that it's funny about the libertarian party is that there are a group of people who talk about, oh, civil rights and civil liberties and this and that. And then all of a sudden their state gets locked down and they don't really say anything. And so is it going to take more? I I, I, I really don't want to say militia because we've heard that term being used very inappropriately in 2020. But or is it going to take no. case numbers? Because again, like I said earlier, it's really difficult for you for governments to kind of be, let off the gas. It's going to be the media. The reason I'm so sure of that is that there was a poll that was done a few weeks ago, uh, the second half of September. Only three percent of Democrats want things to return to normal. Only fifty-four percent of Republicans want it to go back to normal. You wait that. Two thirds of the country doesn't want it to go back to normal because of their understanding of the data. Governors uh, and, and and municipal leaders, they and and then you know like Biden's coronavirus team, they have a green light to do whatever they want. Protests will not change it because one, there's not going to be enough people that are going to protest because the media coverage sounds so so devastating, so scary out there. And so, until the media starts to highlight things like the devastation associated with either schools being closed and kids losing education or small businesses, it will not change. I, I'm convinced of that. So it will not be like 
the little the protests that we saw there were uh, there was a, a little bit of uh, a couple uh, in Ohio there was a bigger one in Michigan really made the headlines in Michigan uh, at the end of April and that stuff isn't going to make a difference at all so the reason is approval ratings of the politi politicians associated with lockdowns is high because people don't understand the data and the media isn't sharing any information about the consequences of the lockdowns yeah that uh boy is it just a this is not this is not good but i mean but do you think by in the last question i'll ask you by the time you know this date that we're speaking in 2021 so a year from now will we have a lot of this behind us the lockdowns will we look at 2020 as just kind of that uh you know, we're going to take a mulligan on that year. There wasn't really much going on. It was terrible. Let's move on. Is this going to be one of those cases that in a year from now, we're just going to look back and just wash our hands of it almost literally and figuratively? Uh, or are we or because we allowed these lockdowns in the first place that the next opportunity, whether it's a flu outbreak, whether it's terrorism, whether whatever they, they have, because we were able to do it this time, do you think that there's a possibility that just at the drop of a hat, we'll lock down again? Well, I think, okay, good. that's a great question. I don't get asked that much. I do think a year from now we're, we're done with this. I think that for two reasons. One, um, we, will, uh, we, will, we will be at a, a herd immunity or population immunity phase, either through an organic development, which is happening now, or a vaccine. So I do think that that's going to wind this down. Uh, however, we will never have an, a situation where we have like no COVID deaths. That is, that is an unrealistic expectation uh, for anybody that, that sees that as the measuring stick. I do think eventually voices like mine, Alex Berenson's and, you know, some of the people I mentioned, and, and you know, you only see a couple anchors, you know, Newsmax and OAN has done a decent job and uh, a couple of the anchors on primetime Fox and that's about it. So you don't have loud voices in the media. But I do think data will prevail, and the story that people like uh, me and, and Berenson and, and you know Tucker Carlson talks a lot about the lockdown casualties. I do, and you, and you too. I do think this will seep its way through. Uh, there will be some lockdown fatigue combined with herd immunity. I don't believe we'll be in this situation in a year or even next next late next summer. The book is COVID-19 Lockdowns on Trial by Michael Beatrice. Michael, we uh, thank you for uh, coming on with us. Uh, I'm assuming we get the book on Amazon, anywhere else. Uh, and where can we find you if we want to get more information? Uh, Amazon, and if anybody's curious, like even if you don't buy the book, if you go to the forward of the book, my email address is there, and I get emails from readers and people asking questions pretty often. And so that's a great way to get in touch with me if you have any questions or want to talk about it. Well, this was a pleasure. It was good to talk to somebody that uh, doesn't seem like they've been, uh, as we say in the uh, uh, kind of internet terms, blue-pilled or a binary thinker. It's good to talk to somebody who's kind of, I guess, red-pilled in a way or somebody who's, at least to me, making common sense and, uh, and hopefully others who are listening to this who might have figured, you know, might have felt a certain way. Whether you're convinced or not, this is just at least approaching a different side of what's happening right now. But, Michael, thanks so much for joining us here. Thank you so much. It was a great visit.